ransomed soul purchased by the grace of the Most High God and central to our, our faith as believers is that we, are salv- that, we, that we are saved by God's grace. It's not something any of us deserve or could earn. It's a gift of God lavished upon us to be received in faith. Uh, faith is an interesting thing. Um, called to trust the Lord. And he has shown himself trustworthy time and time again. Let me invite you to open up uh, God's word with me to the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 4 this morning as we continue on a journey uh, through this book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. We've come, we come to Exodus chapter 4 today in a series titled Unforgettable. Uh, this is an unforgettable story. And as uh, we've stated before, it's more than just an unforgettable story. It also is a story that teaches us that God doesn't forget his people. Uh, God doesn't forget his promises that he is faithful to them always. But as you turn to Exodus chapter 4, let me uh, ask a couple uh, questions for you to consider as we begin. And first, even though uh, perhaps you're a person of faith, uh, have you ever questioned God? Uh, Have you ever doubted God? Uh, Perhaps even after you have seen him do marvelous things, you've seen him uh, do great and mighty things and yet still question him. Do you ever struggle with disobedience because what God is asking you to do is not really uh, what you want to do? We ask you this morning, what is something that God is calling you to do? What is something God is calling you to do? Perhaps he's calling you to be a more faithful spiritual leader in the home as a parent or a husband or a wife. Uh, Maybe he's calling you to uh, readjust your priorities so that your priorities reflect that he is your central priority. Maybe he is is calling you to serve someone else selflessly. Maybe he's calling you to engage in a conversation uh, to point someone else that may not be a believer to the most high God, the God who saves, forgives through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, I, I don't want to initiate a family prayer time because it feels easier just to let everyone do their own thing. Or maybe, God, I, I know you tell us to give and to give generously and to give sacrificially to your kingdom work through your local church, but I don't really want to give sacrificially because then I've got to give up something else, something I love. Or, God, I don't want to pray about going on a mission trip because if I pray about it, maybe you'll actually lead me to do just that. God, even though you've shown me that my neighbor doesn't know Jesus, I don't want to initiate a conversation with them about you. It's, it's just too uncomfortable. Church, when Isaiah the prophet encounters the overwhelming presence of God and the unmistakable voice of God calling for someone to go and to preach his word, Isaiah responds, here am I, Lord, send me. In other words, God, I've seen your presence, I've heard your voice. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever it is you want me to go because you are God and you've been gracious to me. But as we'll see this morning, when when Moses encounters the overwhelming presence of God and the unmistakable voice of God calling him to go and to preach, to confront the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and to lead God's people, to lead the enslaved Israelites out of Egypt, Moses responds, here am I. Lord, please send someone else. In other words, God, I'm not up to the task. You must be mistaken. You've got the wrong guy. But you know, you can't hide from God. 
You, you can't run from God. You can never get away from God. This is the truth that David conveys in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence, Lord? Uh, where can I, f- I flee from you? If I go up to the heavens, you're, you're there. If I go to the, the depths of the earth, you're there. If I go to the east, the west, wherever I go, God, you are there. You, you cannot ignore his voice for whenever we attempt to do so, we are saying to God, God, you don't know best. You're confused and mistaken and you, you need to look elsewhere. I know what's best for me. And this ain't it. Ever been there? Moses was there. And in his case, it wasn't because he didn't want to see his people freed from slavery. And it wasn't necessarily because he wanted to use his time or his resources for something else. No, it was that he wasn't up to the task that God had for him. You see, Moses, like many of us, knew his flaws. He knew his his failures. And he knew that the task God was calling him to was bigger than he was. It was bigger than himself. But what he didn't know yet is that God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. Time and time again, in the story of God's word, God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. Moses had learned much during his 40 years in the desert, but this was a lesson that Moses still had to learn. And it's a lesson that God would show him. So let's look at this story. Exodus chapter 4, and you can find this text on page 46 of a pew Bible, and as you find your place there in God's word, let me uh, invite you to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of, of God's holy word. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. His story continues. Moses answers God. He says, what if they do not believe me, God, or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. And then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hands. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Verse 8, then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to Moses, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he... 
were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Would you bow with me? Father, we do thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that you speak. Lord, speak to us now. Help us to listen to you. That we might discern what it is that you want us to know and what it is that you want us to do for your glory. Lead us to that end. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So here's the story, a story that many of you are likely familiar with, the story of the Exodus. God appears to Moses and God appears to him in a burning bush. And he essentially says, Moses, I'm sending you to let my people out of Egypt. So uh, Moses, go, go assemble the elders of the Israelites and they will listen to you. This is what God says. And then Moses says back to God in chapter four, verse one, what if they don't listen to me, God? Church, this whole dialogical section between Moses and God demonstrates the incredible character of God. That though he is perfect and matchless and powerful, he is also gracious and patient with his imperfect people. And so back up with me and consider this extended scene. God appears to Moses in a burning bush, an incredible scene, a bush that never ever burns up and never uh, the fire never runs out. God's presence is manifested in this way. His character is revealed in this way. It represents that that God never runs out. He just is. He always is. God appears to Moses and he says, I've seen what's happening to my people, Israel. I'm ready. Now is the time. Now is the time that I'm going to deliver them out of bondage in Egypt and bring them into the promised land. And so he tells Moses, go, I am sending you to do this task. Chapter three, verse 10. And a more than slightly hesitant Moses responds with a series of questions to God. He begins and he says, God, who am I that I should go? God, do you know who I am? I'm not up for this. God says to Moses, Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. I am going with you. But God, who are you? What is your name? God says to Moses, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent me to you. They will listen to you. But God, what if they don't listen to me? Moses, throw that staff in your hand on the ground. And then God proceeds to show Moses, to provide Moses a series of signs or miracles, three miracles that show his power and validate his word. God graciously provides signs that that prove his powerful word. That's what God's doing here. Providing signs that will prove that what he says is going to come about. God is not only calling Moses to be a spokesman. He's not only calling Moses to be his mouthpiece, but he's equipping Moses with signs that will ensure his success. This is God's mission. This is God's plan of redemption. This is the fulfillment of his promise to the patriarchs, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to gather their descendants into a special land. Uh, to dwell among them, to be their God, and they're going to be his people, and then ultimately, through their offspring, to bless the nations of the world. And as we saw last week, God will guarantee the deliverance of his people. And in the process, God responds with grace to Moses' hesitation by giving him signs that prove God's powerful word. Signs that first and foremost remind Moses who God is. Meant to destroy, meant to portray the, the mighty power of God to Moses even before they're meant to remind the Israelites and the Egyptians who God is. 
But these are not random signs. Like the miracles of Jesus our Lord, they send a particular message, a demonstration of God's power over various people, places, and things. And the first of these signs, the turning of the shepherd's staff into a snake, reveals that God holds authority over creation. God holds authority over creation. In other words, his sovereignty extends over all his creatures. And we must never elevate a creature to the position of creator. There is one creator, but the Egyptians didn't worship him. They worshipped a lot of other gods, false gods. And one of those gods was the cobra. Perhaps you've seen depictions of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, with Uh, the serpent or the cobra on his hat, ready to strike. You see, Egyptians viewed the cobra as a symbol of wisdom and healing. And here God is demonstrating that he has authority over the gods of Egypt by changing a stick into a serpent and then changing it back into a stick again. He holds authority over creation and he's teaching that he holds authority over people. God holds authority over people. So when Moses puts his hand in his cloak and he pulls it back out, it's covered in leprosy. Contagious skin infection. Leprosy was common in Egypt and would have been readily recognizable. There was no cure. And so this sign would serve as an unmistakable miracle revealing God's power over sickness and even death of people. God holds authority over creation. God holds authority over people. And the third and final sign would become the first plague, water to blood, revealing that he holds authority over nature. God is a God who holds authority over nature. In this case, the Nile River. Of course, the Nile River, as you might imagine, was a significant source of of life in Egypt. It was considered to be Egypt's source of life. God holds authority over all things. He is sovereign and he would accomplish these miracles, not Moses. In fact, Moses was just as surprised by these signs as anyone else would be. This was God's work through Moses. Friends, God is at work. God is a God who's still at work. He is powerful and majestic. He is unmatched. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. He is alive and active today. He has given us a sign too. He's given us a sign of his powerful word. And that sign is the empty tomb. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. He's alive and he's seated on high. He is on his throne today and he will return. Believe God. Church, believe God. Let's believe him. Let's take him at his word. Let's stand upon his promises. Do you believe him? Christ tells us, he tells his followers, he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do your words, do your actions signify that he is your strength, that he is your guide, that you believe he is indeed with you? Do you take him at his word? Do you read his word because it is his word? Thus, you know, it must be true. You see, God doesn't call you to live for him and to serve him in your own power any more than he was calling Moses to confront the king in his own power. He is our help. God is our help. He's our refuge and strength, the psalmist says, a very present help in times of trouble. See, Moses didn't go to Egypt with a scepter, the sign of a ruler, but with a staff, a stick, 
the sign of a shepherd. Perhaps picture an interview. Somebody interviewing for a significant position. You expect them to come in and to be dressed in their best. To come in and to look well kept and to put their best foot forward. To to give their, their best self, their best look, so to speak, for the position. Well, here in essence, God is saying to Moses, show up in your gym shorts. I'll go with you. Take this staff. You see, God was going to do something ordinary. God was going, excuse me, no, God was going to do something extraordinary. He was going to take something ordinary and do something extraordinary with it. He was going to take someone ordinary and he was going to do something extraordinary through him. And this wouldn't be the only time that God would act in this way. God often acts in this way. Indeed, the Apostle Paul recognized this in his own life when he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. In other words, anything that we have accomplished in the name of Christ, anything that we have seen as a success, any fruit of our ministry, it's not because of anything we have done, Paul says, but it's only because God has done it through us. You see, when it comes to serving the Lord, when it comes to living for Him, to sharing His Word, our confidence should not so much be in ourselves, but we should be confident in Him. We should be confident in the God who made us, the God who's with us, the God who sends us. Are you confident in Him? Are you confident enough in the Lord God to do exactly what He tells you to do? To be faithful to His call? Well, certainly initially here, Moses wasn't so sure. See, Moses was thinking too much about his own inadequacies. He was thinking too much about his own anxieties. He was thinking too much about his own inabilities. Even after what he sees, Moses says in verse 10, Pardon me, Lord. These signs are great. They're impressive. You indeed hold all power in your hands, but Lord, I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I'm not not a good speaker. So God appears to Moses in a miraculous way. He reveals his character and his power, and he calls Moses to go to deliver his people in Egypt. Moses says to God, God, who am I? I can't do this. God says to Moses, doesn't matter who you are. I'm going with you. Oh, God, who are you? What's your name? Who should I tell them has sent me? And God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. They will listen to you. But God, what what if they don't listen? Moses, throw your staff on the ground. Do these signs and they will believe you. Lord, but I can't speak well. Moses, who gave you that mouth? Now go, get out of here. Be faithful to the call. Do what I'm calling to do. Lord, please, just send someone else. Do not miss the Lord's incredible patience with Moses here. Incredibly patient. God patiently prods people to proclaim his powerful word. This is the way God operates. He is patient with us. Again and again, the scriptures tell us that he is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger, slow to anger. He's patient with us. God patiently prods people to proclaim his powerful word. God is powerful, but he is patient with us. He remembers who we are. He remembers that we are dust. Ever seen a picture of, I don't know why this image came to my mind. You ever seen a picture of a a crocodile, uh, a mother crocodile carrying her young in her mouth down to the water? 
One of the most powerful forces in all of God's creation, tenderly, carefully carrying these new baby crocs down to patiently, tenderly carrying them down to where they need to be. Likewise, the Lord prods us carefully, patiently. He prods us to step out in faith, to trust Him. He doesn't expect us to be perfect orators, just faithful proclaimers. You know, we could speculate a lot about what Moses' speaking problem was. Many folks have. Perhaps he didn't think he had an adequate education. No doubt he had a good education, raised in the palace with the queen's daughter. Maybe he felt like his 40 years away in the desert would be a gap that he would not be able to overcome as he went back to Egypt. Or maybe he had a speech impediment. Or maybe he just had a fear of public speaking. Or maybe this was an exaggerated humility. Whatever the case, he did not consider himself a good speaker. But then again, neither did the Corinthians consider the Apostle Paul a good speaker. And yet, by God's power and His grace, Paul was the most effective and impressive missionary preacher in Christian history. How so? Well, he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, He says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence. I didn't come with human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. He says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, I came in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. Friends, God uses imperfect people to accomplish His perfect will. He has always done so. And He continues to do so. This is just what He does. This is how God operates. God said to Moses, Who gave you that mouth? Didn't I do that? Go. Moses, I am going to help you. You see, He made us. He made us. And isn't the one who made us equipped to tell us what to do with what he has made? That seems rather obvious. More than slightly countercultural today. He made us. He made us and he sends us. This one sends us. Verse 12. Now go. Go, Moses. And truth be told, none of us are Moses. Moses had a specific task in salvation history, a great task, an incredible task. We we remember Moses. We know about Moses because of the way that God used him in his story of redemption. But like Moses, believer, you are called to a ministry of gospel proclamation. You are called to tell others who God is and to tell others what God has said. You are called to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He made us. He sends us and he helps us. The one who made us, the one who sends us is also the God who helps us. Moses, verse 12, now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Again in verse 15, I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. Friend, God is our help. God not only saves us by His grace, but He sustains us by His grace and He sends us in His grace. He sends us, going with us. He is our help. God is our help. So share His Word wherever He sends you. 
Believer, share his word wherever he sends you. Talk about the truth. Regarding sin and salvation. The forgiveness, the patience, the mercy of God, wherever he sends you. Are are you willing to go wherever he leads you? Friend, are you willing to do whatever he tells you? Are you willing to serve in whatever capacity that he calls you to submit when he speaks to you? To give what he asks of you? To share the gospel truth of a savior A Savior who died in our place on a cross and His triumphant resurrection from the dead and His promised return for those whose faith is in Him. Share His word wherever He he sends you. One of my favorite biblical stories about that is recorded in Acts chapter 4. The setting of Acts, Jesus has already been crucified. Been raised from the dead. He's appeared to his followers and he's commissioned them to go and to make disciples. Remember Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says to his followers, you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to tell other people what you've seen and heard. In other words, you, disciples, followers of Jesus, this is your task. I'm going to do this in you. But they repeatedly encounter opposition for telling others about Jesus. Peter and John are arrested and Acts chapter 4, they've been out talking about Jesus, saying Jesus is alive, saying that forgiveness of sins is found in Jesus and the religious leaders, the same ones who rejected Jesus as the Messiah, are now uh, threatened by the disciples. And so they call in Peter and John and they, they, uh, they threaten them. They seize them and threaten them. You better stop talking about Jesus. Quit talking about this guy. Or else we're going to convince the same Roman guards who got rid of Jesus to get rid of you. And Peter and John respond. Respond to such a threat with these words. Acts chapter 4 verse 20. They say, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen in her. We cannot help it. We've seen this. We believe it. We're confident that Christ is who he said he was. And so we're going to talk about it regardless of the consequences. Church, may we be a people who so believe in and love the God of the Bible that we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. May talk of Jesus and his love, of salvation by God's grace, overflow from our lips. May we sing when we gather because we believe the words that we sing. May we listen when the word is read and taught because we know God's word is powerful. And may we speak to the lost because we know that the Christ who saves has commissioned us and he goes with us. He is our help. Friends, God uses imperfect people. To accomplish his perfect will. So let's not trust in ourselves. Let's not build our own kingdoms. Let's trust the God who sends us. Friend, trust the God who sends you. Trust the God who sends you. Trust him. He is faithful. He always has been. He always will be. Trust in him. And go wherever he leads you. Can, I, can you say with Isaiah. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Friends, God is trustworthy. And he is a God who extends salvation to us by his grace. If you've not received salvation offered through Jesus, if you have not turned and trusted in Jesus for forgiveness of sins, for eternal life, then do so today. He is a God who's merciful, who's patient. He's a God who rescues. He's a God who extends a a free gift of abundant and eternal life. A gift to be received in faith. If you've not trusted him, trust in him today. 
And then let me remind you, believers, let me remind all of us that a call to faith in Christ is a call to follow Christ. It is a call to go wherever he leads us. To be saved is to be sent. To send out into the world. Near and far. Whatever sphere the Lord has you in. To be faithful in sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus. So let's trust the God who saves us. Let's trust the God who sends us. Let's be faithful to him. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you because even though... You are the God who has always been and who always is. You are the Holy One and whose presence we must come reverently. We must come humbly. We must come through the blood of Jesus. Lord, you are, you are a God who is perfect in every way. Lord, a God who is just and merciful. And yet through your son, our savior, Lord, you have been just and the one who justifies us. You have showered us with your mercy. You have rescued us from sin and darkness and you have brought us into your kingdom. You brought us into your family. You have welcomed us as fellow citizens with your people and members of your household. Father, may we be faithful representatives of you. May we follow Jesus well. May we serve you faithfully. May we submit to you fully. Guide us to that end for your glory, not ours. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.